I want to call your attention now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, from which we read a few moments ago, Matthew chapter 1. And we'll read once again verses 22 and 23. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And may God bless the reading of Holy Scripture. Our thoughts focus at this time of year on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though Scripture does not reveal the date on the calendar when he was born, it is always timely and good for us to consider the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to the passage before us, the name that he was to be given, well, there's actually two names mentioned here, you notice. The first is what we would think of as his, uh, the name that people called him in verse 21, Jesus, Jesus. And that simply means Savior. But we read in verse 23 of another name, or we might think of it as a title that would be given to him, and that is this name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And the meaning of that name or title is given to us. The interpretation of that word is God with us. And we want to consider this title or name of the Lord Jesus Christ in various facets here in this message today. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. It is the name in the Hebrew language for God, El. We might think of that as a, an abbreviation of Elohim. With the word with, the preposition with, and then there is added in between those two the pronoun us. God, it is God with us, exactly. And it says that this name was given to him to fulfill prophecy. The prophet is not named here in Matthew chapter uh, one, but we know who the prophet was. It was the prophet Isaiah. And I'm going to turn there and read. You're familiar with this, I expect. And I am tempted to just do something of an exposition of, of Isaiah 7 here, but I think for the sake of time I will forbear. But Isaiah 7, 14 says, and, and remember, this is written about 700 years before Matthew chapter 1, or the events of, of the birth of Christ. Uh, 
Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And here's the sign from the Lord. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so when the angel appears to Joseph and the explanation is given here concerning the birth of Christ, Matthew, by inspiration, tells us this, that the birth of Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah all of those hundreds of years earlier. His birth was a miraculous birth because his conception was a miraculous conception. And the name given is Emmanuel, God with us. And we ought to think much and often upon this fact that in Christ, in this man who was born as a baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, God is with us. Now, what does it mean for God to be with us? Well, this is a concept that was familiar to Jewish ears throughout the Old Testament time. For God to be with someone meant that he was blessing them, helping them, guiding them. For God to be with someone meant that they had hope and peace and joy and fullness of blessing. And so we see that God drew near to Abraham, for example, way back in the book of Genesis. He says to Abraham, walk before me. Abraham, he says, I'm I'm going to walk with you. I want you to walk before me. To Jacob, God promised, behold, I am with thee. I will not leave thee. To Moses, God said, certainly I will be with thee. And the presence of God with Moses and with the nation of Israel was pictured in this cloud that followed them or that that guided them wherever they went. In the daytime, it was a cloud. In the nighttime, it was a pillar of fire. Furthermore, the presence of God with Israel was pictured in this Ark of the Covenant that they carried with them everywhere they went. It was God pictured in that piece of furniture as being with them, going with them, traveling with them, God with them. He says to Joshua, the successor of Moses, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. To David, God said in 2 Samuel 7, I was with you wherever you went. So the presence of God, God being with someone means everything. And so as it comes to apply in the New Testament time, Emmanuel means that God is with us 
in the person of Jesus Christ. God with us means God is dwelling with man. That God has come to earth as a man. He is united to humanity. And this is the most amazing, startling, shocking, and yet comforting truth that we could ever hear. God is with us. And in the person of Christ, who came to this earth, God was with mankind in a way that he had not been with mankind before. In a personal existence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, part of the reason that this is such an amazing and stunning thing is what is true otherwise. Apart from Jesus Christ, God is not with us. Outside of Christ, God is afar off in our sinful state. As we are born in Adam with the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, there is distance between us and God. God is far off. There is this great distance between us and our Creator. Sin created the gap between us. There is a loss of closeness, loss of fellowship. Instead of peace, there is enmity. Instead of God with us, it's God away from us. God against us, instead of God for us. In our sinful rebellion against him, he is rightfully against us. And we deserve his punishment. We do not deserve his fellowship and his friendship. We are perpetrators of crimes against him. Our sins offend him and drive him from us. He will have no fellowship with evil. He has no fellowship with darkness. And this is why God with us ought to surprise us and thrill us and amaze us. Without him, we have no comfort. We have no eternal life. We have no hope. We have no true joy. But when God is with us, we have all things. When we consider that God was under no obligation to us, other than to punish us for our sins. That he was under no obligation to help us, to have mercy upon us, to draw near to us, to forgive us, to restore us, to close the distance between us. God with us is a most amazing thing. He is the one who has taken the initiative to draw near to us. Left to ourselves, we would never have taken that initiative. 
We never draw near to him. He is the one who draws near to us in saving grace. He, for his own glory and out of the goodness of his own heart, determined to draw near to us, to restore fellowship, to save us, to put away our sins, to reconcile us to himself, to restore what was lost in Adam. And so that brings us more closely here to the the question, why was Emmanuel necessary? Why is it necessary to have a child born to reconcile us to God? Well, the answer is this. Having chosen to save sinners, having chosen to close the gap between us, that sin caused. It had to be done this way. The way that God has done it is the way that it had to be done in order to satisfy his own demands, in order to satisfy his own justice. God, because of his holiness and his justice, cannot simply ignore our sin. He can't just act as if it has not occurred and if we are not sinners and say, come close, come be my friend. No, that would be injustice. We can see that even on an earthly level. A crime has been committed, a price must be paid. And God's holiness and God's justice demands that the price of our sin be paid. He must punish our sin to maintain his own holy justice. And so he didn't have to save anybody, but having determined to save, he must do it in a way that upholds his own character and his own justice. And that's where the mediator comes in. That's where Emmanuel comes in. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is God with us. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, took a human nature, assumed a human nature. Not a sinful nature, but a human nature without sin. And his perfect nature was assured by the fact that the Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive as a virgin. He did not receive, Jesus did not receive sin by an earthly father as it is passed on, we might say. And so this is the the reason for the virgin birth. He's a sinless savior. He did not partake of the sin of Adam that was passed down generation by generation He took this human nature, and as a man on earth, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. He could have left us to ourselves, and there would have been no Emmanuel. There would have been nothing but sin and shame 
and hell. But because of Emmanuel, because Christ came as the Son of God, as a man on earth, we have redemption. There are many scriptures that bear out the dual nature or natures of Jesus Christ. He is Jesus, a man. He is Christ, the anointed, the Messiah of God. Let me just give you some portions of passages here. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read that a child is born, and yet he is the mighty God. There's the humanity and the deity. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, God sent forth his son made of a woman. There's his deity, son of God, and his humanity made of a woman. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it's put this way. The word was made flesh. Word, capital W, being one of the titles of Christ. This eternal word, this self-existing word, made flesh. Made flesh. There's the humanity, the human nature. In Colossians 1, we read that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the likeness on earth, we might say, of eternal God who is invisible. Again in Colossians, in Jesus Christ dwells bodily all the fullness of the Godhead, it says. And certainly a passage that we ought to think much upon is 1 Timothy 3.16, which says, Great is the mystery of godliness. Here's a great mystery beyond our full understanding, and yet it is what God has revealed. God was manifest in the flesh. All of these passages in one way or another say the same thing. God as a man. And yes, it is a great mystery. But we see the divine nature and the human nature all the way through uh, his life on this earth as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you'll indulge me, I want to read kind of a lengthy quotation here because I can't say it any better. This is by an old Puritan writer named Isaac Ambrose, and he, he lays out here example after example of the two natures in the one person. He is a complex person, different from you and I. We are simple. We have one nature. He is complex. He has two natures, God and man. So Mr. Ambrose enlarges on this. He was conceived as others, and so he was man. But he was conceived by the Holy Spirit as never was man, and so he is God. He was born as others, and so he was man. He was born of a virgin as never was man, and this speaks of him as God. 
He was crucified. He died and was buried. And so he was man. But he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and from thence shall come at last to judge the quick and the dead. And so he is God. Or if from the apostle's symbol we go to the gospel, which speaks both uh, of both natures at large, we find there he was born of his mother and wrapped in swaddling clothes as being a man. But the star shines over him and the wise men adore him as being God. He was baptized in Jordan as being a man, but the Holy Spirit from heaven descended upon him as being a God. He is tempted of Satan as being a man, but he overcame Satan and dispossessed devils. He cast out devils as being God. He traveled and was thirsty and hungry and weary as a man, but he refreshed the weary and fed the hungry and gave drink, even the water of life, to the thirsty as God. He slept in the ship and his disciples awoke him as being a man, but he rebuked the winds and stilled the raging of the tumultuous seas as being a God. He was poor and needy, And had not an house to put his head in as being a man. But as he was and is rich and mighty and cannot be contained in the heaven of heavens, he is God. He was sorrowful and sad. He wept and he prayed as being a man. But he comforts the sorrowful and hears the prayers of all his saints as being God. He was whipped And rent and torn and crucified as being a man. But he rent the veil of the temple and caused the sun to hide his face for shame when he was crucified as being God. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me as a man? But he could say to the thief crucified with him, today shalt thou be with me in paradise As being God. He died and was buried and lay in the grave as being a man, but he overcame death and destroyed the devil and raised up himself to life again as being God. After his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples and ate with them and talked with them as being a man, but he provided meat and vanished out of their sight as being God. He ascended into heaven, and the heavens now contain him as he is a man. But he sustains the heavens and commands all therein and rides on the same as being God. Thus we see all along two real distinct natures continuing in Christ. Well... Thank God it is so. Because he is God-man, he is fully fit and capable to be our Redeemer, to be our Savior, to be our Reconciler to God, to be our Emmanuel, God with us. And 
I hope you won't think hard of me for leaning so much upon Mr. Ambrose, but let me give you a few further points of his that I find very helpful and thought-provoking. Emmanuel had to be both God and man. It wouldn't be enough for him to be God only or man only. He had to be both. He must be God because, number one, only God can save. No man can save. No man can save himself or anyone else. We have that in Psalm 49. None can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. But God will redeem my soul. He must be God, secondly, because only infinite merit can satisfy infinite justice and put away infinite wrath. And infinite merit rests only in deity. He must be God, thirdly, because only a divine nature could endure divine punishment. Human nature alone would would utterly melt away and, and dissolve under divine punishment if not sustained by a divine nature. And our mediator must be God because only God could overcome Satan and death and hell. Satan and death and hell are greater than we are. Man is no match for these things. Only God could overcome them. And this is exactly what we read in 1 John chapter 3. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, was incarnate as a man, was Emmanuel, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Only a God-man could destroy the works of the devil. Or only divine nature could destroy the works of the devil. Secondly, he must be a man. Emmanuel must be a man. He must have a human nature. Our mediator must be man because, number one, only human nature can die. And the wages of sin is death. And divine nature cannot die. God is the living God. Not a dead God. He cannot die. He is life. Death is the wages of sin, and in God is no sin. But man is capable of dying. And our mediator, therefore, must be a man in order to die. Secondly, he must be a man because only man is subject to God's law. Subjection to law is not proper for God as lawgiver. It's proper to man as the one who is created. And so the mediator must be man for that reason. Thirdly, he must be man because redemption must be accomplished in the nature that sinned. In other words, because it is man that sinned, 
Redemption must be accomplished by man. And this is a biblical principle. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. We read in 1 Corinthians 15. And again in Hebrews chapter 2. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. One nature. Human nature, in other words. Redemption must be accomplished in and by the nature that sinned. Which is human nature. And fourthly, the mediator must be man because only man can sympathize with those he represents as a priest. Christ is our priest. He is our one and only priest. And we read in the book of Hebrews that every priest must have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. In order for Christ to be a priest for you and me, he had to be a man. Again, we read in Hebrews, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, we have a high priest who is sympathetic to us and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So these are at least some reasons why Emmanuel had to be God and man to accomplish redemption. It is a great mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. Yes, there's much that is beyond our comprehension about the incarnation and the eternal Son of God taking a human nature as a man on this earth for the work of redemption But we do know enough to admire him and adore him and trust in him and commit ourselves to him and follow him and obey him. And so it is from this unique person, this unique complex person, this one-of-a-kind God-man, we receive what no other person can give. He accomplished what no other person could accomplish, and he gives us what we can receive from no other person, and that is perfect righteousness. Atonement for our sin. Forgiveness of all of our sins, a right standing with God, justification, eternal life, hope that cannot be taken away. It is through him that we discover the meaning and purpose of life, why we're here, where we came from, where we're going when we leave here. Thank God for Emmanuel. Without him, where would we be? Without him, we would know nothing except our own sin and depravity and hopelessness. 
Now, let's consider one more thing here. For whom is Jesus Emmanuel? Well, in the broadest sense, when it says God with us, we can interpret the us in, as just mankind, the world, this earth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, the Apostle Paul declares. We read in the Gospel of John that he was in the world and he came in the flesh and God sent his only begotten son into the world. He is Emmanuel, God with us, God with mankind. He came all the way from heaven to earth. He traveled this distance that we cannot even measure. He comes to earth as a man, born as a baby, lives, grows up, has three and a half years of public ministry and then dies on the cross to atone for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures, ascended into glory. Hundreds of eyewitnesses saw his resurrection Many saw him ascend into heaven. The facts are indisputable. He is God with us. All the way from heaven to earth. But I tell you, he must come closer than that. If you're to be saved. He's got to come closer than just to earth. He's got to come into your heart. He has to come into your very soul. In the words of Ephesians chapter 3, He must dwell in your heart by faith. It is Christ in you which is the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1 tells us. Christ on earth is a marvelous thing. But there are many on earth who are not saved because that's as close as they have come to him. And there must be a greater closeness. He must come into your very soul. The first epistle of John says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus spoke of coming into the soul of man and taking up his residence, taking up his abode, dwelling within us by his Holy Spirit. And so, if we are to truly, savingly benefit from Emmanuel, we must have deep inward dealings with him. We must confess our sins and turn to him and trust in him for righteousness in the sight of God. We must surrender to him as our master. That is 
the action of faith in the soul. And that makes God with us intensely personal. It's God with me. God within me. God living in me. Because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And there's a union with him by faith. And so, let me put this question to all of us to consider here today. Is Jesus Christ Emmanuel to you? It's not enough to say he is God with others. He's God with us in a very generic earthly sense. You must know that he is God with you. God for you. God in the person of Jesus Christ as your Savior. The one that you submit to. The one that you depend on for all that you need to be right with God. Come to Him now. If you've already come to Him, then keep coming to Him and renew your faith in Him. And let us truly rejoice in Emmanuel.